Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This is the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. In case you're just tuning in now for the first time ever, this is a true crime podcast where we have two women, one from the legal field and one with a PhD in biomechanics. Correct. (laughs) Talking about cases and everything that goes along with them, with our opinions, with our expertise, and with all kinds of other interesting, stimulating conversation around it. How are you doing, Darce? Got I'm a storm going pretty, on there in the background. Yeah, right? you know, well, it's summer in the south, so that means it storms like every 30 ish minutes out of nowhere. Um, it was thundering during our last recording. I think the storm is gone now. Um, oh, that's good. But there might be a tornado in a little bit. You know, who knows? Somewhere in the south. That's how we live. I definitely heard the tornado warnings a few times this week here yeah. in Illinois. Um, it was interesting. All of a sudden, because it was like windy and rainy and mm-hmm. thunder and lightning, and then all of a sudden it got quiet and still. And then you hear those sirens go off, and it's like, ooh, the sky was not green, but the sirens still went off. I remember when we talked about that last time, and you were like, what are you talking about? The sky turned green. And all of my friends that listen, um, that are from the South, which is like like maybe three friends that listen in general, and two of them are from the South, they were like, I didn't know other people did not know the sky turned green. Apparently, that's just a Southern thing. It did. No, 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 no. It did? It did. Okay. Like, this was last year we had a real, real bad, bad storm with a lot yeah. of lightning. Trees got knocked down and stuff, and there were tornado warnings consistently yeah. for hours. And the mm-hmm. sky was green that time. It was mm-hmm. the weirdest color. It was just kind of a yellowish green, and everything yeah. was still. It looks like pea soup. Yeah, it was weird. Uh-huh. It was so weird. But this, yeah, it's, it's not always that way around here. Right. It, it is that way. maybe it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway, you have a super interesting case that I we do. want to cover off on in the first part of the episode that's kind of a medical mystery sort of a thing, and it's, go for it. Let's talk I about do. it. I do, yeah. So this is the story of the roller coaster death in Indiana. So if you have not heard, a woman from Ohio was discovered unresponsive at the end of a roller coaster ride. She was at a, a theme park in Indiana. Don Jankovich's cause of death was released on Wednesday. And the coroner ruled that the 47-year-old had, uh, 47-year-old's death had nothing to do with the ride itself, but it was basically just the force of the roller coaster. It, it ruptured her internal th- her right internal thoracic artery which is an artery in your chest, very close to your heart. And her cause of death officially was exsanguination, meaning she bled out and she had an avulsion of that. Yes. And she had an avulsion of that artery. And an avulsion is basically like when tissue pulls away from like, usually you hear about it like with bone, like an avulsion fracture, like a tendon pulls away from a bone. In this case, it would be the the artery that ruptured. So basically... And you said, because I texted you this and I was like, I want to talk about this. So the force of the roller coaster was like so powerful that it ruptured an artery, yes. a major artery. So it ruptured an artery in her. It wasn't that the force of the roller coaster was so powerful that it just randomly killed this woman. There is likely a precondition that she had that made her susceptible right. to this. Your internal thoracic arteries don't just rupture. I mean, like that's not a thing that just... right. Even with a G-force yes. like that from a roller coaster, they well, could Well, they did because they did. But it's so unlikely because the, the, the research behind roller coasters is actually really, really, really fascinating. And it's kind of like my nerd, like, geek out moment. Because when I was little, I used to want to be, a, like, a Disney Imagineer. And I used to want to design, like, rides and stuff. Oh, um, I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. But 
the research behind roller coasters, like it literally go goes back to like space travel when like people were studying like pilots and uh, and rockets and like astronauts and all of that stuff because the G forces are the same. And G forces. And so basically, you have a tolerance yeah. of the G forces that 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 you can tolerate literally until the basically what happens with a roller coaster when you they, you go up and down and they spin you upside down they have a limit of how much often they can do that because it the g-forces will pull your blood up into your head and pull your blood away from your head so they can't do that too many times and they can't spin you upside down too many times or too long because the blood will drain away from your head and then you'll lose consciousness and you'll yes. pass out so the science behind okay. roller coasters is actually really specific into how many times they can like and how high they can make, take you and how fast they can drop you. And like, it's actually super, super interesting. And there's a lot of research that goes into it because again, it's basically based off of aerospace engineering. They don't want to kill people and yeah. they don't want people to pass out. They have liability when they, when it comes to roller coasters, because you could potentially sue if it's yes. unsafely made. And so so there's a lot of research that goes into making it safe. Yes. And so like the G forces, like there's the way that they talk about G forces. So like a G one G is, is an acceleration. It's the acceleration due to gravity. So that's an actual number that we know. And then if you have like two, three, four, it's like two times the acceleration due to gravity. So like, it's basically like a G one G is like 10 meters per second squared, like an acceleration. Um, and so you have two, three, four, five, and like you have these numbers for different body parts that can handle different accelerations, like your head, like if you hit your head directly against like something hard or on the ground or like in football or something, basically you can withstand about 120 G's before your skull fractures and like 80 wow. G's before you get a concussion. It's like kind of the rough, rough estimate from like, that's like the very preliminary concussion research and this is what you did your phd paper in? that's what i'm doing my, the, my okay. yeah my my so this is like work. your wheelhouse this yes, is your that's why area i'm like sounding so nerdy about it because i love this so and then like you have so many g's that like if you get hit on the arm like before your arm breaks like you have these tolerances but that number when it applies to like a whole body structure is actually really low. So like the whole body can only withstand about like five G's applied to the entire body as opposed to like a very targeted. Like in a roller coaster kind yes. of a setting. Yes. So basically when they design a roller coaster, they calculate the G's that you'll feel when you go up and they calculate the G's you'll feel when you go down. They calculate when they spin you upside down. They do all this stuff. They calculate the G's to make sure that you don't exceed this tolerance level at any time during the ride. Okay. So they're very safe because they're very well researched and they're very well designed. And they're tested. Yes, and they're tested extensively. Well before any humans get on them. But they haven't gone into this woman's case specifically other than her cause of death, but there's no way. There's no way. Well, they say she did frequently go on roller yeah, coasters. Yeah, she loved them. So this is not necessarily so it had to have been just a freak. Yeah. Anomaly because she'd been doing this regularly with something she enjoyed doing with her young son. Yes. And which is so tragic that her son was with her when this happened. I mean, it's just, it's just horrific, but she had some underlying condition. She probably had some kind of connective tissue disorder that made her arteries, the walls of her arteries weaker or that specifically she had something going on with that artery. They haven't gone into it, but Roller coasters are basically the, the moral of the story is roller coasters are very safe for the mass populace 
if you have an underlying condition that you do know about that makes you not want to ride roller coasters, that's one thing. But you shouldn't go not enjoying yourself and having a good time because they are very well researched. And she had some kind of underlying condition that is related to her death in this really, really, really tragic situation. But I did want to talk about it because it was super fascinating for me as a as a, a forensic biomechanics nerd. It just seems so random. It is I random. Mean, to go on so many rides and then that's the one that kills her seemed weird to yeah. me, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, like, why that one? Why didn't it happen earlier if she had an underlying condition? Well, that's the thing. I mean, you hear about, like, an aortic aneurysm, you know, and that's basically when your aorta ruptures. Like, those happen just completely randomly. There's, like, you can't predict it, and the only way that you live through it is if it happens literally while you're in a hospital. Like, because it's, it's your aorta. I mean, it's the biggest artery in your body. It's the most yeah. important artery in your body. Yeah. So, like, if that <clears throat> ruptures, like, you're, you die within seconds. So it's just aneurysms are, are so random, and you can't predict them. To my knowledge, you can't predict them, and you can do very little about them unless you get medical emergency medical help right away. And that's just the weakness in an artery, right, mm -hmm. that causes it to burst, mm -hmm. random weakness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I talked about strokes on one of my medical shows way back yeah. then because I had a nurse friend that came in and had a conversation with me about it, but... For me, it's like, that's my literally my worst nightmare and why I don't ride roller coasters because I'm just afraid that I would be that one person that would get on the roller coaster and, and just but like, not here's be the thing, non-responsive. If that's going to happen on a roller coaster, it's just as likely to happen driving your car or the next time you fly. Like, it's, I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, like, specifically her cause of death. If that's going to happen, that's going to happen. That's not because of the roller coaster. It's yeah. just that's Every where time she I go was. On a roller coaster, I feel like I'm literally dying. So <laughs> I love roller coasters. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> so anyway, but thanks for indulging case, my my geekiness. Darcy had to get into that. We had to let her talk about it, and that like I, I saw that and was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> love roller coasters. So the main case that we're going to talk about today is the case of Jennifer Pan. Okay. Um, you don't you don't know who this is. That name is not ringing a bell. Jennifer Pan was born June 17th, 1986, in Markham, Ontario, Canada. Okay. Middle, middle part of Canada. Okay. Okay. Her mother, um, Bic Han Pan, pronounced Bic. I mean, you look at it, it's B-I-C-H. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like it would be different, but yeah. it's pronounced Bic. Okay. Um, and her father... Huey Han Pan okay. were immigrants from the Chinese area of Vietnam. Oh, okay. And they went from there to Canada to provide a better life for their family. Mm -hmm. The father was born and educated in Vietnam, moving to Canada in 1979 as a political refugee, mm -hmm. and then the mother also immigrated as a refugee. So Before they got married, basically? Yeah. Okay. This period of time in Vietnamese history is really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on. There was war. There was, you know, poverty. And there were a lot of people that either escaped um, China or Vietnam mm -hmm. to come to the U.S. as political refugees during that time period. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them came to Canada um, to build a new life. And they were refugees in Canada as well. So the couple married the mother and father. Jennifer's mother and father married in Toronto. And they lived in a little neighborhood called Scarborough. They had two children, Jennifer, 
who, again, as I mentioned earlier, was born in 1986. And then they had Felix, who was born in 1989. I like that name, Felix. Felix, that's a cool name. Um, The parents found work at this place called Magna International, which was an auto parts manufacturer in Ontario. Okay. So the father worked as a tool and die maker while the mother made car parts, which... I don't think it's unusual. A lot of factory jobs are available up there in that area. They two, the two worked persistently hard for their money and they really wanted to ensure that their kids had the upbringing and the opportunities that they didn't have when they were in Vietnam. Yeah. And I don't think that's unusual for a lot of refugee families that come here. Mm-hmm. They want to provide a better life for themselves, first of all, and for their children in the future. Mm-hmm. They want them to have the things that they never had. And I think in some instances you get situations where the parents can seem very strict um, in their upbringing of their children, just because they want their kids to take advantage of every single opportunity that's available to them that they did not have so that they can be successful and have the sort of life that they didn't have in Vietnam or China or wherever they're coming from. Yeah, and it's it's really common to hear that from like first generation Canadians or American, first generation Westerners, if they have, if if they're children of immigrants because the, the their parents came from literally nothing and so we're just born with so much here and yeah. access to so much yeah. here that it's just you hear that it's a very common thing to hear a lot and looking in on it from our perspective as americans middle-class americans we can see that sort of a situation and that upbringing and the way the parents act as being overly strict mm-hmm. when i don't really think that we have the place to judge um, for that sort of thing. Yeah, we don't have that just perspective. They just want their children to be able to be disciplined enough to take advantage of everything that they possibly mm-hmm. can to be successful. And I think that it's harder for us to understand that as Western civilized mm-hmm. individuals, right? In many ways. Yeah. So in any case, um, the parents worked, re- the Pan family, the parents worked really, really hard. And by 2004, they purchased a large house with a two-car garage and a residential street in a city called Markham, which was in the greater Toronto area. There was a large Asian population there. Um, The mom, Bic, drove a Lexus ES300, and the dad had a Mercedes-Benz C-Class. They had about $200,000 in savings. So they had reached to the point where they were financially comfortable. Yeah. Um, And that was through thrift and hard work and, like, saving and working hard and, and not wasting money on frivolous things and they set goals for their kids they had very high expectations for them jennifer had to take piano lessons from a very young age and she was also into figure skating and she trained most days of the week and that as you know is extremely you have to be extremely disciplined it's very very hard yeah I mean, it's something that she had hopes of becoming an Olympic figure skater. Wow. I love figure um, skating. And so she trained for that. Yeah, she trained for that very, very hard. And that's, um, if any of you know what that's like, it's extremely rigorous. I mean, anything and at that she, level is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to be an Olympic caliber mm-hmm. athlete at any level, you, you, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was kind of put on the back burner because she tore a ligament in her knee. Mm. And so that, I think... Not necessarily put it on the back burner, but it ended that dream. Sure. Because once you have an injury like that, it's really you, it's almost impossible to come back and and compete at the same level as you probably. Know. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And specifically with a knee injury, but also, I mean, to if your if your goal is to be an Olympian, at some point you do age out of that window because there's always people yep. coming up behind you. 
And if you have an injury like yeah. that that takes so long to recover yeah. and could potentially take years to recover from, then she's already aged out of the ability to get in where she needs to go by a certain age. Yeah. I mean, like, right. at this point, like, gymnasts... Figure skating, though. Like, you're 18, 19, you're already... I was going to say, like, gymnasts, yeah, prime. like, are peaking at, like, 15. You know, figure skaters are, like, 20. You know, I mean, it's just... Yeah. Everybody's so, so young at this point. Yeah. So she had certain goals that she had set for herself in that particular field. And once she got that injury, it just threw everything mm. off. Um, she went to Mary Ward Catholic Secondary School. She played the flute in the school band. By all accounts, she was a normal kid, but just very disciplined. And her parents had very high expectations for her. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was unusual for a lot of the kids in that community. Mm -hmm. She was in an Asian community, right? Mm -hmm. um, she very much, though people noticed that her parents were very enthusiastic about getting their kids to succeed. Okay. I guess you could say. Um, they said the dad was a little bit more strict and the mom was more reluctant to like get involved with that. But um, they picked, the parents were so strict that they would pick up Jennifer when her classes ended each day and they monitored her extracurricular activities. She mm. wasn't allowed to date. Um, she couldn't go to his high school dances. Um, they just didn't want anything to distract her. So a little bit beyond academia. just being like a tradition, like traditionally yeah. strict. They parent. were just very, yeah. very, very strict. And you know, I'm not one to judge like what is too strict. Mm -hmm. That's what they felt was right for their family. And they're certainly entitled to that. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that's too strict, but she couldn't go to parties. She couldn't go out. She couldn't date. She didn't have much of and a social life. No. Yeah. And she had graduated from high school and they believe she was attending college, right? Okay. Um, so according to records and reports from people that knew her, she was 22 years old, never had gone to a club, never been drunk, never, you know, gone to friends places or gone on vacation without her family. Uh -huh. She was very, very sheltered and very, very closely monitored, even at the age of 22, mm -hmm. right? You'd think... Most people by the age of 22 are like on their own. They're doing their own thing. They're old enough to drink. They can go to clubs. They don't have to report to anyone. But Jennifer was very much like a small, like a teenager, mm -hmm. even at the age of 22. And everyone that knew her said that her upbringing was kind of restrictive, was very, very restrictive. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was a little odd, right? So despite the fact that her parents were like, hey, you've got to get good grades. You've got to do well. Her grades were pretty average. She was only in the 70% range okay. in everything except music. She excelled in music. You know, I was about like that in undergrad. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with making average grades. And there's nothing wrong grades. with that. But they expected her and pushed her in every possible way to be above average. Yeah. And as a result, she started forging her report cards. Oh, yeah, I never she did that. I just basically them, said, I just yeah. don't make a grade as mom and dad. <laughs> she was showing them that she was getting straight A's when she was not. Mm. And she failed calculus class. Calculus is hard. As a senior. Yeah, I, I couldn't take calculus. I'm not smart enough for that. Um, and she had actually had early admission for Ryerson University until that point. Mm -hmm. And they, once she failed that calculus class, they yanked it. Gotcha, okay. And of course she couldn't tell her parents I that. Do you think this is sounding familiar now? Yeah, sh they would have flipped out. Yeah. 
So she basically just lied to everyone she knew and pretended she was still going to college. Yikes. Instead, she would go to restaurants, coffee shops. She taught piano. (laughs) She worked in a restaurant. And she basically told her parents she got scholarships and that she had been accepted into this pharmacology program at the University of Toronto. Mm -hmm. She purchased... books and stuff and watched videos so she could create notebooks full of notes uh to show her parents this is what i'm doing in school right now because they were monitoring her that closely all of the effort to lie about that she could actually just be studying that for real but she basically was creating this lie upon lie upon lie upon Mm -hmm. lie and telling him oh hey i'm doing all this look how successful i am here's my report cards here's my grades here's my transcripts I'm doing awesome, but she was making all that up. The amount of creativity, mm-hmm. the amount of like to to make all this up and to create this, like imagine yeah. what she could do with her powers for good, <laughs> right? Like you were yeah. saying, like if she actually took it and studied, she could have done fine. She could just study it with all, yeah, with everything she's done. And with all this kind of in her pocket to show her parents she's killing it, she requests, you know, to be allowed to stay near campus with a friend during the week so she can be closer to school so she can spend more time studying and she can focus more on her schooling and her academia and she's actually hanging out with her boyfriend daniel wong this was the guy that she was seeing and she met this guy in high school and he was kind of a bad boy he was mixed Mm. chinese and filipino um he worked at a boston pizza restaurant and had been a student at the school that she went to, but then transferred to Cardinal Carter Academy in North York, Toronto, due to very low grades. And he was actually a weed dealer. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, this is the classic He's story. a bad boy. He's no good for her. The yeah. sheltered girl, yeah, and the bad boy. And he's well, basically, and I don't know whether he influenced her and convinced her to, to, to lie and to fake her transcripts and, and make her parents believe things that... Or if she did that to try to impress him, there's no real indication of which came first. Was it the chicken or the egg? Like there's... Yeah, it could be just a combination of both. Did he influence or was she already just a bad kid just waiting to... Yeah, I mean, I don't know that necessarily she was a bad kid, but I think inevitably at some point when you have that restrictive of an upbringing, it's just, it, it's bound to happen at some point that you rebel. Yeah. And just the crowd that she gets in with you know, doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't sound like this Daniel guy is good for her at all. Um, But then... But that's what you do when you're 22. You date people that aren't good for you. Exactly. But she was not (laughs) expected to do that. But it's not enough for her to lie and pretend she's getting good grades and she's participating in this pharmacology study program and all that. She has to tell her parents as well that she's volunteering at the hospital for sick children. So she's creating quite this resume for herself. Wow. Yeah, she's got quite the CD. So her mom and dad. Impressive as she did. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's like impressing everyone left and right. But her mom and dad, though, start to get suspicious because she doesn't have an ID or a uniform. So normally when you work in a hospital, even if you're a volunteer, you have some kind of an ID badge. Yeah, they tend to be pretty strict about security there. And she doesn't have any of that. And so Jennifer's mom follows her to work. (laughs) <laughs> and Uh-oh. figures out this is not real. She's just like working at Buffalo Wild Wings Pretty much. And <clears throat> Jennifer's mom, Bic, wants to throw her out of the house. Um, mm. 
or excuse me, Jennifer's dad is the one that wants to throw her out of the house. And her mom persuades him to let Jennifer stay. Okay. Okay. She hadn't completed high school because she failed calculus. Whoa. Right? So they've started, once they've, this kind of little card, house of cards. Uh, everything, Once they yeah. pull this bottom card out, the whole freaking thing collapses. And they discover that she yeah. hadn't even graduated from high school. Yeah. They're not happy. And this is because no. she failed yeah, the no calculus kidding. class. So she begins working. She gets that high school. Um, I think it's a GED here. But they had, she had a high school equivalency that she obtained. And mm-hmm. her parents sort of push her to apply to university for real. Because they're like, hey, you put all this effort into faking this. You know, put that effort into mm-hmm. really doing it. They recognize yeah. that she's intelligent and she's capable. She just needs to put her efforts in the right direction. So they're trying to get her back on a, yes. on a straight path. They, they just okay. believe that if they just tightened the reins a little bit and got her back on the right track, that she had been influenced by the wrong people, and they recognized that this boyfriend she had was bad for her and that she had this boyfriend, and they forbid her to contact him or go anywhere near him, and the only thing she was allowed to do was her piano teaching job and school. And as anybody who's ever been in their 20s know, as soon as your parents say you can't do this, you absolutely agree yeah. and you understand and you see the wisdom of sure, their eyes. Sure, sure, end of, end of episode, right? Good <laughs> no. talk. So Let's Jennifer's talk. 24 by then and mm-hmm. she's talking to Wong the whole time. She's like, I do what I yeah. want. And I think he had provided her with like a cell phone and a SIM card and everything. Like, So they're oh, communicating boy. like incognito, yeah. like doing their thing regardless and she's still seeing him she's sneaking away to do it but i think mm-hmm. that daniel this boyfriend that she had which you know i think anybody would by the time she's 24 25 starts to get tired of this hiding and sneaking around and and mm-hmm. it's not fun for him anymore well, yeah you want to be able to act like an adult and jennifer like she lived at home and she only meets him in yeah. secret she refuses to stand up to her parents she doesn't want to be independent she's like trapped in this situation so he basically breaks it off with her and starts to date someone else Mm. so when she learns about this whole thing about i mean she's she's not happy with the breakup but when she learns that he's seeing someone else (laughs) she gets a hold of daniel and tells him that a man entered her house showed her a police badge and then several men rushed in and gang raped her so she's convinced him that this is kind of his fault and then she says that there because he wasn't like there yeah, to protect her or and something? that you know if he had been with her this wouldn't have happened she claims that a bullet is mailed to her and that the events were orchestrated by wong's new girlfriend okay so she's basically like hey your new girlfriend is the one that's behind yeah. all this you got to break up with her hmm. how convenient yeah. right and of course daniel falls for it hmm. which you know he's he's is he that much into the seedy underworld life that like he actually believes that like and then he knows that she's been lying why would he not just be like oh she's lying right like why would he just presume she's not lying about this so yeah fast forward to spring 2010 jennifer starts talking to a high school friend um who is basically one of those kind of people that thinks he's a badass and that he says he's been robbing people at knife point and he's you know this 
bad news dude, right? So she's like looking at him like, uh-huh. hmm, this guy might come in, in handy. And so she starts talking to him about killing her parents. Wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah. So not long after the whole your, your girlfriend's responsible for my gang rape and mailing me bullets thing, Jennifer and Daniel get back together. And they're, at least they're back in contact. Okay. And she starts to talk to him about hiring a hitman, too. So she's now talking to two people about killing her parents. Yeah, she's talked to several people by this point about killing Yikes. her parents. She's determined. She's escalated yeah. fast. She's determined that the only way out of this is to get rid of her parents. It's not to move out of the house. It's not to assert right. her independence. It's to kill them. And I think part of it was also she knew that she would inherit about $500,000 if they were dead. And she makes this plan with Daniel to move in together and to get these guys together to do this murder of her parents. And Daniel and these murder for hire gentlemen. Ruffians. They give her an iPhone and a SIM card so she can contact them without using her own cell Mm -hmm. phone because she still has a cell phone, which is pretty amazing and kind of surprised her parents didn't take that away too. Um, Anyway, she gets this whole plan together and gets this crew of bad boys from the the hood, Mm -hmm. so to speak, and she gets this hitman team together. And I'm sure they're just a crack team. (laughs) November 8th, 2010... They descend upon Jennifer's house. Jennifer unlocked the front door of the family home before she went to bed that night. She went relatively early to bed, but she spoke on the phone with one of these hitmen Mm -hmm. shortly before she went to bed. And then right after that, before she went to bed, because she says she went to bed, turned off all the lights, Etc. But she was actually unlocking the the front door mm-hmm. for them to come in, and these guys, three people I believe, entered the home through the front door. They all had guns. So first they demand all the money in the house. They ransack the main bedroom, and then they took the mom and dad to the basement where they shot them multiple times. Oh my god! The mom was killed. Um, but the dad actually survived his wounds, despite the fact that he got shot in the face. Ugh. They took all the cash that was in the house, including $2,000 from Jennifer, and then they took off. So Jennifer claims they tied her up, but she managed to free her hands and dial 911. Okay. It's interesting, because there's the whole 911 call that you can hear. Yeah. Jennifer manages to free herself, but she wasn't actually tied up if you hadn't gotten yeah. that out of it but she calls 911 and tells them oh somebody broke into the house and she pretends to be you know somewhat hysterical and they tied me up and i'm still alive but they're in the basement something's going on blah 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 and her brother where's he he's away at school oh so he's okay, not there okay, at the time okay. um but she thinks both of her parents are dead but her mm-hmm. father's not. He's actually been treated at the hospital um, from his injuries, but he survived. Wow. So then the first day after this whole thing goes down, Jennifer gets interviewed by the police. She's arrested November 22nd, 2010, and has a third interview during the, her arrest. Mm-hmm. 
So she admits during this third interview that she hired the killers, but claims she hired them to kill her and not her parents. Why would you do that? Donna. Evidently, her life was so miserable at that point that she wanted to end it because she knew that, you know, she could not get out of this and she just wanted it to be over. So she hired someone to kill her, which who does that? And that that? was the best way to go about that? Yeah. Who does that? No one. That's who. Anyway, um, the police basically tell her that they had software that could analyze untruths and statements and infrared technology to analyze movements (laughs) and buildings. So they lied to her. Basically. Well, you know, she didn't graduate high school. She doesn't know the no. difference. And they're like, we've got you. <laughs> we've got all this yeah. equipment to None prove of that's that you're lying. Either. And she falls for it. Yeah. Um, and she basically says, okay, fine. And she got, she confesses. Well, you caught me. Mm-hmm. You didn't even have to use that fancy infrared technology. And then they got the rest of these guys once she gives them up, of course. Obviously. And they're all arrested in 2011, I believe. So Jennifer's trial begins 2014. So it took a while for them to actually get to trial on this. This happened in 2010. Mm-hmm. It took four years. I guess you don't wow. have a speedy trial rule in Canada, evidently. Man, have you seen... You haven't seen Dear Zachary. No. But that's a, that is a truth fact. Anyway, her trial begins March 2014. And it goes for 10 months. Whoa. Everyone involved, because I think they tried them all together. They okay. all plead not guilty. And okay. it's first-degree murder and attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder. I believe they charged all of them with all of those. And the father is still alive. The father's still alive. I don't know how much okay. he's able to talk, given that he was shot in the face and recovering from right. that. And, you know, he's got and trauma he may not remember. and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, so I don't know yeah. how much he's going to be able to contribute. But Okay. Um, the police provide a whole bunch of mobile device movement records, text messaging, and a hundred messages sent between Daniel and Jennifer in the six hours prior to the killing. So they've got a ton of evidence on this. And then they got evidence regarding the break-in, the robbery and shootings. And then they have all kinds of basic mix-ups and lies and catching herself and yeah. inconsistencies and irregularities in Pan's testimony. Okay. And then they start to see that she was obsessed with Daniel Wong and they know that this is just not right. She also was not assaulted. She wasn't blindfolded. She wasn't taken to the basement like her parents or was she shot? Mm-hmm. Why would they, why would random attacks and robbery, etc., leave behind an eyewitness? Well, and they also, they took $2,000 from her, but they didn't, like, take her phone or, like, they didn't, no. they left her with a way to communicate. They didn't hurt her, they didn't do anything with her, yeah. and they tied her up with some shoelaces. I mean, come on. So, the dad's version of events, I guess he did remember a good portion of it, mm-hmm. basically differed completely from Jennifer's mm-hmm. version. All of the four defendants were convicted December 13, 2014. Hmm. Each of them received a life sentence with no parole for 25 years, which is the typical in Canada for a murder. Like you can't necessarily, life sentence is not a life sentence there. It's 25 years and then yeah, you Yeah, I don't think you can get without parole in Canada. Yes, exactly. Unless yeah. there are extenuating circumstances. Right. Like I think that there are, it's got to be pretty, and I don't even necessarily think they allow them to do it without parole. They just have like a special thing added to it mm-hmm. where they're just, they won't be granted parole. Yeah. Jennifer, like I just said, was sentenced to 25 years with no parole. 
for the murder of her mom and the attempted murder of her dad. Um, her father and brother requested a court order banning her from contacting members of her surviving family Good. ever again. Isn't that bonkers? Yeah. She's also banned from ever contacting Daniel Wong again, even though he's in prison for life, too. Really? Which is interesting. That is interesting. I think they really determined that her obsession and everything came from her contact with him and that it would be better for everyone and her mental health if she never had contact with him again. That's fair, but that also kind of sounds like it's his fault. And it's yeah. so obviously it's not. Yeah. yeah. She had a pattern of yeah. deception and lies and whatnot. But 2016, Pan, as of 2016, Jennifer's serving her sentence at the Grand Valley Institution for Women in Kitchener, Ontario. So she, I think, won't be up for parole until, let's see here, she went in 2014. So she wouldn't be eligible for parole until... 39. Like, 2039 yeah unless they have like crazy rules like they have in the states where you can serve like what 70 percent of your term or whatever yeah any case this this particular case just kind of was very very controversial um because of the asian component to it and Mm -hmm. how many people thought that her snapping was a result of this very very strict parenting she received from her parents Mm mm-hmm um, and it's just, a, it's an interesting case. You know, um, her mother had her funeral November 15th, 2010, and they had a funeral for her father before the mothers, because it's a Chinese custom asked for older members of the family to have their funerals first. And it was weird because Jennifer organized both funerals. Not knowing her father didn't die? No, she organized both funerals. He, he was still alive, but it's the tradition for the older to have the funeral first. And since the mother... Or excuse me, the father was still alive, but he was older. She had to have his funeral first. It's a Chinese custom. So she organized both funerals. And I think that was before she was brought in and convicted. Yeah. Because the mom was buried November 19th. And I think they brought her in on November 22nd. Yeah. Wow. But the father couldn't attend either one because he was still in the hospital for his injuries. But it's just a wild case. Like... The lies upon lies, the deception, the layers of deception, and then the fact that she goes and finds a hitman. Like, how does someone even go there? I have no idea. I mean, it sounds like if this Daniel kid was a drug dealer, like, if he just was dealing marijuana, like, I don't know how many shady characters he really knew. But he may have known somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Do you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, but she was talking to somebody outside of him. Oh, that's right. Like, yeah, somebody I don't from know. high school that I don't was talking know. about. And she just assumed that he would have connections or be able to, like, help her. Uh, yeah. I and don't how know. how do you go from, like, you're 22, 24 years old, like, living with strict parents? Why don't you just move out? Like, really? Right. Well, it, it's kind of like that mentality of, like, we can't get divorced, so I'm just going to murder my spouse. Like, it's kind of like that same, like, where, you, where that's the only way you see out, which doesn't really even make any sense. But, like, I, it's one of those things I don't think we can, like, you and I can logically get there to understand yeah. it, you know? Well, she's clearly got some serious, very serious mental health issues, which I hope they're addressing. And I think that the, a lot of the, the British and Canadian... Um, criminal mm-hmm. systems are a little better at trying to address some of these mental issues right. with the prisoners. Not that they're doing it 
in achieving better results than we are here, but I do believe that they address it in a in a very specific and like yeah. patterned way in the the criminal justice system there. And you know, I mean, the whole thing about like blaming the strict parents is like how many people grew up with super strict parents and did not murder their whole family? You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. that's not that's not in any way a justification. Like it explains why she rebelled and why she i mean it it it, it, it doesn't explain it it doesn't justify but it, it you can understand the reactionary response of lying about not achieving the things that your parents wanted you to achieve because they had really high expectations for you but you you still can't go from that to murder like that's just yeah you know what i mean like that's just yeah so is she a family annihilator though so essentially, it's a type of murder or murder-suicide where a perpetrator kills multiple close family members in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Most often children, relatives, spouse, siblings, or parents. In the, half the cases, the killer lastly kills themselves in a murder-suicide. If only the parents are killed, the case may also be referred to as parasite. When all members of the family are killed, the crime may be referred to as a family annihilator. A family annihilation. Yeah. This is not a family annihilation because Felix well, and the father were still alive. But, they, but like, yeah, I think but she, she tried to kill them. Yeah. But she, that she no way, in no way did she intend to kill her brother. So it can't really be a fi- family annihilation. Well, case. that's what it's I was going to say case. though. Is would she have attempted to? Would he have been collateral damage if he had been at the house? The brother. I think he probably would have. I it think sounded so too. like she was willing to do whatever she thought she needed yeah. to do to clear the path for herself to have a relationship with Daniel Wong. And well, and also if she gets rid of her brother, then that's more money that she inherits. Yeah. Too. Although there's no indication, I just want to make it clear, there's no indication in any of the court paperwork that she in any way intended to kill her brother or that right, he right, 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 right. was involved in this in any way, shape, or form. Right. And I think... This has been particularly devastating for him because he lost his mother and he, his father was injured and he lost his sister mm-hmm. and this just, and he had to move back closer to home to help take care of his dad. And it just, I think it was a particularly challenging case. Both the son and the father have had no contact with Jennifer. They basically mm-hmm. disowned her. And it's one of those types of situations where they're like, this is really sad, but we can't have contact with her because yeah. she is... A bad kid. Yeah. A bad apple. And I don't, I mean, I don't mean to imply that the brother was involved or a target or anything like that. It's just in the interest of answering the family annihilator hypothetical, I do wonder if he had been there, if he would have also been shot. You know what I mean? And I kind of think yes. And then I wonder as well, like, is there ever a justification if a parent is so strict and so abusive and so demanding that would ever justify a child with behavior like that to try to escape from it. And I just don't think that you can justify it in any way, shape or form. Well, that's what, um, it's not like a battered spouse syndrome. Well, that's what, what the, the Menendez brothers, I mean, that was their entire defense. Well, that's an, an interesting one. And I think we have to redo that case because there has recently been some developments on it that have come out and in particular um, accusations that the boys had been sexually molested by their one or both of their parents mm-hmm. for a long period of time that was backed up by other people in the family. So that's uh, a, yeah. I think it's a case we have to redo and, and, and I mean, revisit. That's basically what you're asking is, is there any 
justification for murder, and I don't think you can answer that with a no, blanket statement. No, I said, statement. is there any justification for murder in a case like this where right, right, got right. The, the parent who's overly strict with academic expectations and, and, and so forth versus a situation where you've got a parent who's physically sexually abusing oh, a child. I see. Physically or sexually abusing a child. I think there's a distinction there. Uh, yes, I agree with that. And I would say for being strict and having high expectations, no. Because she seems to think, you know, I was an abused child. That justifies my behavior to get myself out of this situation. Yeah, I, maybe that maybe it, it was abuse. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a professional on that, but like And I honestly think that she's one of those kind of people that can convince yes. themselves that what they yeah. believe is right, even if it's not, or it's justifiable because they have created this scenario in their mind where they have convinced themselves that they're right and everyone right. else is wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I, I think this is one of those where like multiple things can be true. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think she probably can convince herself that, that what she did was justified and that it was necessary and there was no other way out, that doesn't mean it's objectively true. I just can't feel sorry for her. Like, Well, she lied so many times. She created this entire false narrative of her life and then she got caught and so her response was to murder her parents. Like, that's really what it comes down to. It wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, regardless of the reason that she felt like she had to lie. Like, that's what she did is she lied and when she got caught, she murdered her parents because she wanted to see her boyfriend and they wouldn't let her. It's just terrifying because you can be the best parent in the world. You can work hard for your family. You can take them out of poverty. You can come here from a third world country to develop a life and give everything you have to make a better life for your children. And then something like this happens. That's terrifying. And you never I mean, know. You're like, the one that wants could kids. They, I don't want kids. Could so. they expect this? Could they anticipate this? Could they prepare themselves for this in any way, shape, or form? They did everything they thought they needed to do that was right yeah. to help her. They tried to correct her. They tried to give her the support that she needed. They tried to be strict with her. They tried, you know, academically. They got her involved in music and sports, and they did everything they thought they needed to do to help her, and mm -hmm. this is what happens. Yeah, I mean... It's terrifying. I, to answer your question, I don't think there is a way to predict it. And it wasn't like she was doing drugs and, and like, acting out and hanging out with gangs and kind of stuff like that. It wasn't like she was doing those overt, rebellious signs. Mm -hmm. She was very sneaky and very deceptive and layer upon layer of lies that she'd created to hide her true desires and wants. Yeah. Just, it's scary. Because you nope. never really know what people are thinking nope. and wanting to do inside until something like this happens. Yeah, very much. So anyway, interesting case. Um, so this one, you know, she's getting 25 years, but I do hope she gets some mental health professional care while she's in prison to try to help with her. And I mean, I hope the father and son are able to move forward. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. you know. Exactly. Uh, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? No. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or corrections for us, I've heard, I think, probably four different podcasts on this particular case, and all of them were a little bit different, um, and all of them had mm -hmm. just little variations. But I remember I first heard it back in, I think it was 2017, 
when I was listening to, I was painting, somebody had painted a red wall in the um, townhouse we had in San Alijo, and I was mm-hmm. painting this red wall white to get rid of the nasty red accent wall, and I heard this case, and knew that I wanted to cover it all all, all yeah. the way back then, back in, that was what, five years ago, yeah. four years ago? Um, and now just finally got to it, but I, I know I, I probably could have done better on it, but in any case, it is what it is. That's very yeah. interesting. So um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to correct us or give us more information on this case, you can shoot us an, e- in, yeah. you can shoot us an email at the bfdpodcast at gmail.com. Darcy, social media. Yeah, you can also find us at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we post pictures and show notes and all that good stuff there. And you can also reach out to us there. Yeah, and I will definitely be posting some pictures in this particular case. I wish that I haven't seen any pictures, but it's particularly interesting to me that she said that they tied her up with like shoelaces or something like that in this case. Mm. And she managed and they asked her how she freed herself. And she just, if you have the chance... Go listen to the 911 calls um, for this yeah. case because they're just so interesting because they're like catching her in lies and she's just like trying to explain well, it. Well, like away. do the bare yeah. minimum. If they're gonna, if you're going to lie about being tied up, have an answer about how you got out. I mean. She's like, oh, I managed to wiggle free and call 911. Why wouldn't they take her cell phone? Like it just, none of it makes sense. Right. And it's an interesting yeah. little thing there. But anyway, I'll post some pictures on Instagram of this case. She just, when you look at pictures of her in general, she looks so young and innocent and like she would never be capable mm-hmm. of, she definitely doesn't look 24 or 25 and she definitely does not. Mm-hmm. And not that any one person particularly looks like a criminal, but she looks like this innocent little young woman who yeah. could never do something this crazy and violent and angry. It's wild. Yeah. Um, Exactly. But please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.